Welcome everybody to 2020 and our first episode, um, which is episode 57. So we've had a bit of a break, obviously, with Christmas and etc. So we thought we'd just crack on now. Um, one of the things I was going to say is we are changing. So we've decided that Jamie and I are no longer going to be doing the kind of show that we normally do in the second episode where we pick some tracks, discuss them, and play them. And what we're going to do now is we're going to focus specifically on composer interviews. So um, you'll hear a new one hopefully every couple of weeks. So that's good. That's our news for 2020, and we've got some more news that we can't share just yet. Um, but we're so excited about this year, so we'll just crack on. So we've got our first guest of the year. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Hello, Pete. I'm. Uh, thank you for inviting me. I'm Nanita Desai, and I'm a film and television composer, and also now video games as well. Fabulous. So, Nanita, tell me about your story. Where did you begin? <laughs> okay, Pete. Oh gosh. Um, right. So, how did I begin in the industry? Well, I uh, was born and brought up in London. And uh, I started off, um, I was immersed in music as a child and as a teenager. And I learned the violin and the piano. And I also learned sort of Indian classical instruments as well. And I formed various bands at school and I wanted to be a singer. That was my first love. Uh, but I was also a bit of a geek. <laughs> <laughs> I loved computers and, and technology. And so... I, I actually got a degree in mathematics and then from that, because I, I love numbers, I was, I just, it was something that I was very good at at school and I was good at maths and, and I enjoyed it, believe it or not. And, um, and then I did a postgrad uh, in music technology because as a teenager, I was buying little bits of music equipment and I was very interested in um, sort of synthesizers. My school, my secondary school had this amazing synthesizer that they bought for the music department. It's um, ECM VC, v, uh, VCS3, which uh, so it's antique a vintage synth, one of the earliest synths, and it costs about £20,000 now, second hand. And wow. my school bought one at the time. And I said, can I borrow this amazing, sort of, it looked like battle battleships, if you know, you stick pins yeah. in it, and, and the sounds change. And there was no, they had this little tiny little plastic keyboard, and it looked like a, a briefcase that you sort of folded together and, and carried around with you. It was a really strange um, since so that so I borrowed it uh, but I borrowed it for two years <laughs> I didn't take it no one noticed that <laughs> it was missing um, of course when I left school I took it back I felt a little bit guilty but no one seemed to care you know so I uh, I learned about analog sound synthesis uh, and that that's how I sort of got immersed into that that uh, into technology um, and so, so I did a, a postgrad in music technology um, there were very few courses around at the time so mm. I just did what I could and I learned about music psychology and and psychoacoustics and acoustics and um, and then I got a but I also loved film and 
uh, and I used to play video games as a child. I was my best friend had an Atari console, and I used to go to her house and play Space Invaders. And um, because I couldn't, <laughs> it was so expensive at the time, I couldn't afford one of my own. And um, and I used to play games on my PC and uh, so, uh, at home. So I had an Amstrad, I think Amstrad PC, um, or no Atari, Atari Amstrad. Anyway, so. I um I got in I got into music that way and sort of fiddling around twiddling knobs on my gear and boarding buying a four track Porter studio and recording with mics and experimenting and overdubbing and uh, I had this four track cassette recorder so I could record on four tracks and then uh, once three tracks were filled up I'd bounce it down onto another track and then that would free up the remaining tracks and I'd just sort of carry on overdubbing and 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 playing around with stuff really and um, and I was always sort of writing my own tunes and writing my own music and um, and then also at the same time, I would I did short courses in um, filmmaking and photography, and so I was very interested in the visual arts as well. And I really opened my eyes and ears up to music for the media and the power of music and mm-hmm. how it can affect you emotionally. And you know, I loved films and my favorite theme, you know, I, I brought, was brought up on sci-fi. So I like Blake Seven and Doctor Who and mm-hmm. all these old sort of sci-fi uh, shows and uh, Star Trek, the original, I mean, I'm too, too young to have, to have been brought up during the original William Shatner Star Trek. But, but my dad used to make me watch all these old reruns and uh, and on TV and and that's uh, that really sort of I loved it. I used to hide behind the sofa when the theme tune for Star Trek came up when the ship used to come <laughs> over the top of the screen. <laughs> I was terrified, you know. Um, so uh, so I just I was captivated by by theme tunes and that's how mm. I really sort of got into music. And then I got a uh, a scholarship to go to the National Film and Television School. Uh, which is very um, highly sort of one of the best film schools in the world, and I studied sound. I was really into sound design for for film, and when I left film school, I uh, well, I sort of I, I flunked film school actually because I did it for a year, and then I was getting a lot of work outside. I was working on major feature films um, at. Pinewood and Twickenham and Shepperton Film Studios and so the school said to me why are you even here you don't need to be here so we sort of mutually agreed in a very amicable way that there was no point in me finishing off film school uh, because I was doing what I wanted to do you know, working out in the real world so so I worked in sound design for a couple of years and I then got creatively frustrated it wasn't what I wanted to do I wanted to write music for film and tv and games so I then met a music supervisor who gave me a break um I, no actually no what happened was I, I got into music engineering 
And I was assistant music engineer to Peter Gabriel for a while at his recording studios um, in mm. real world. And I worked as a freelance, uh, as a freelancer in, in music engineering for a while. And so I got to work on other people's music. Some really great, very lucky. You know, I got to work in fantastic recording studios with the best gear in the world. So that formed my sort of music engineering uh, foundation. And all that experience in film sound and, and music studios really helped help prepare me for writing music. Uh, and mm. what you need, the skills that you need to be a composer, whatever area you're working in. You know, I have my own recording studio now and I tend to do all my writing, arranging, programming, mixing, engineering myself. And I bring in musicians um, whenever I need to, depending on the budgets for, for projects. But um, I met a music supervisor who gave me a break and said, look, I'm supervising the music for a TV show. Would you like to write one of the episodes? Um, and I took took the ball by the horns and um, learned, it was sort of baptism by fire. I just threw myself in and thought, how do I write a picture? You know, and uh, up all day and night teaching myself. And um, the film company liked what I did. And then one job led to another and another and another. And, and 20 years are. later, here I am. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I actually started off as a composer. I actually started off in <laughs> writing for video games. And because uh, I, I did sound effects and music for video games. So I worked for a, for a publisher called Empire Interactive, who had lots of developers. And uh, the guy, the head of the company, introduced me to about five or six of his developers. So I got to work for some of them. And I worked on games. This is sort of over 20 years ago. So I cool. worked on games like Pro Pinball and Sheep for um, PlayStation 1 and uh, I did a few flight simulators and I did okay. Monopoly. I did Monopoly, uh, World Cup Monopoly. And so, <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, so that was a, that was, and, and games music was very different. And it's interesting to see how the, how the technology uh, has, has moved on. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but, and yeah, so it sort of worked in all, all these different genres and all these different areas, really.
recently um, released to huge critical acclaim a, a, a game. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, so I was contacted by Sam Barlow, the developer and director of Her Story, which came out in 2015, I think. And mm-hmm. that was quite groundbreaking. Um, uh, Sam made um, Silent Hill, and then he, f- he, f- he went out on his own and formed his own company, um, studio, and he made uh, Her Story, which was very groundbreaking because it's um, FMV. And uh, at the time, it was very edgy. It was all uh, live video, and it caused a bit of a stir when it came out and was highly revered, revered. And he then moved on to make his next game called Telling Lies, which is where I come in and telling lies is an investigative thriller with non-linear live action storytelling so it's like an interactive movie and but it's totally non-linear and you play it uh, it's on it's out on steam and ios and um, uh, pc at the moment and there are plans for it to come out on it will be coming out on console uh, later this year on, on place on PlayStation, so that'll that'll be fun. And uh, it's basically a uh, non-linear game. It's a it's a hybrid between traditional linear film and and uh, sort of full motion video. And it's about four characters. It's a political thriller. Uh, it's an investigative uh, drama, and it's um, it's uh, it's about human relationships actually and um, you you play an agent an nsa agent who's found a hard drive of uh, material or video material and you have to go through uh, like a detective and piece the mystery together uh, and almost un- uh, unpick the mystery yeah but you do it through um you type in search words and right. yeah it's it's all search uh search word based um so there's a lot of metadata everything's tagged so if you type in the word love it will search for video clips containing those containing that word, word or phrase and it will play the top five clips that come up that relate to that, uh, that are tagged with that word. And so you have no idea who you're watching, who you're listening to, um, and, and what really the plot clever. is. And it's very, it's very complex. Uh, it can be as deep as you want it to be, you know, and the object of the game is not necessarily to get through all 10 hours worth of video. Um, but you, what, what's also happening is that you're, you're, you're listening in on private conversations. So you'll hear, you'll see it's all done through mobile phone footage or CCTV or webcam. And so you'll see someone talking on screen, acting on screen. And it's all these are very intimate personal conversations. And you'll see someone talking, but you won't hear the other side of the conversation. You won't hear the other person. So you're, you're watching someone and they're talking to you. And there are pauses because they're listening to what the other person is saying, and you're and you're you're seeing their responses on you mm-hmm. know in great detail with their facial expressions, and you're sort of you're sitting there thinking, oh, you know, what's going on here? You're trying to fathom out what's going on. So mm-hmm. it's um, really, really. Uh, 
interesting game. It's, it's become one of the, uh, I think the Guardian uh, gave it one of their top 10 games of the year. Um, and uh, so it's been highly acclaimed over the last yeah, few months, which is, which and is wonderful. And as well. Yeah, um, yeah, I think it was, uh, the score was number three in uh, Scala Radio's top uh, video game scores of the year of 2019, which was totally unexpected because it's a very it's a very subtle score. Um, so it's just lovely that people have noticed it. Um, so with the score, I because we are watching intimate conversations on screen with these characters who are just acting the pants off the screen. You know, they're amazing performances. Um, the music had to be quite intimate and cerebral as well so mm-hmm. because it had to com- complement the complex Machiavellian plots and varied narrative threads that are going on because at heart the characters are not who they say they are they're all playing double uh, undercover agents or double undercover or triple undercover uh, uh, agents and that everyone is lying to one another so um, they're all deceiving one another consciously and subconsciously. So there are lots of layers of manipulation and hidden dark secrets that delve into the human psyche and the score, the music score, had to reflect that. Mm. So so uh, I brought in the London Contemporary Orchestra. I knew that I wanted them to play. They've, they're an amazing orchestra. Yeah, um, they're phenomenal. Yeah, they they played on uh, Phantom Thread and they play all of Johnny Greenwood's scores and they did a live performance of Moonlight, uh, that amazing film, and Mika Levy's Under the Skin. So they're they're used to working in a modern on modern contemporary classical music, and uh, yeah, so so and they're also very creative. They're great creative collaborators. So. I want so I wrote it for them in mind because I wanted the music to sound very intimate. I had mm-hmm. uh, fifteen strings, a couple of woodwinds, and a piano and a harp, and that was the sound palette that we that we put together. I mean, in terms of inspiration for the game, I spent eighteen months working on the music, working on the wow. game, and I actually didn't see any visuals, so that was a bit of a challenge because that must normally have been really you, difficult. Yeah, so if you're working on a video game, you may see some graphics or they'll give you some images as inspira- visual inspiration. Mm-hmm. But here, because everything was going to be filmed, um, Sam had written this script, which was like over 250-page script, that uh, that's all I had to go on, really. And uh, sometimes he'd send me pictures of... of uh, he'd give me really detailed notes and he'd send me the odd image of the characters that he was playing, the photographs of the actors. So uh, when they when they cast it, so I was working on the game even before they'd cast the actors, and so I just worked from the um, from the script and coming up with ideas. And Sam is great at coming up with uh, very very detailed character notes. So he would give me the backstory of each character. Uh, and I'm, I'm normally very visually inspired. And when I was reading the script, Sam gave me very visual analogies that helped me draw a mental picture of the musical world. 
So we had lots of in-depth conversations about the characters and the mm-hmm. multiple facets of their personalities and their dramatic arcs. So then it was up to me how I would then execute it musically. Um, and I, I really had to step into... I really had to step into each character's shoes and totally inhabit each person's characters because they're all very different human beings. So what I would do with Sam was I started creating music playlists, like a musical mood board uh, for each character that Sam would then feed back on. And uh, he would send me pieces that he'd been listening to while he was writing the script. Um, And then we would collate fragments of what we liked about the various pieces of music and then once we'd done that i um i started writing and Mm -hmm. as i was writing as each piece was approved sam would then carry on writing the script and he would be (laughs) listening to my music so so we were both working sort of toing and froing where he'd listen to my music and that would inspire him uh, for uh, and he, he gave the music to the actors as well to listen oh, wow. to on set um, which was really uh, lovely so that helped them with their performances as well it sort of just they just soaked it up and soaked up the mood of the music so um, so that was a really interesting way of working um, yeah and, and, and Sam would give me these crazy uh, analogies you know uh, for each piece so what I had to do I had to write I had to write a piece of music for each character and each theme had to be about five and a half minutes long which is a long time you know I'm used to writing mm. short pieces of music for film and tv so uh, each theme had to be five and a half minutes long and and I, I had to write in a modular way, which is quite common for video games music. So I had to break each piece up into six or seven Lego blocks. And each of those blocks could be played in any order because it's adaptive depending on what's happening in the story and what's happening on the screen. So when a character comes on, you hear their theme comes in and you hear mm. their theme. And and then each piece had two uh, sides to it so we had a we had a main loop and then we had a hidden loop and when you dug deep into the story sometimes that hidden loop will come out and there's mm-hmm. a shift in the music and it's quite subtle and you think oh I'm digging deep here I'm, I'm onto something here in the game so that was um so that was an interesting sort of uh, subliminal sort of messages that we were sending out through the music
find the um, composing for a game in comparison to the previous work with film and TV and stuff? Did well, it, you know, differ? Well, you know, Pete, actually there's not that much difference um, mm-hmm. because at heart, no matter what you're doing, um, you're, you're storytelling. You're telling a story through the music, whether it's for a game or film or TV. So the intention... Uh, was to connect the player directly to the emotional core of the story. And that's a common element on every project I score. So in that regard, it wasn't different. I mean, there were, there were games music mechanics that I had to incorporate. And the challenge for me, which is different from film and TV, the challenge was to write a piece of music that had a start, middle and end, but that it had to flow no matter what order you played these Lego blocks in, so uh, so it had to flow musically and narratively. Whereas with film, you just write a piece of music, and no matter what happens, it doesn't change. And the other difference was that I tend not to, I tend to get visuals when I'm working in film and TV, and here I just had to work from the script, and with had lo- endless discussions with Sam about the characters. So that was a different form of inspiration for me. 
as opposed mm. to film and TV where I'm working with the editors and they're just sending me visuals and rough cuts and, and rough scenes to work to. So, um, and, and funny, and there's a sort of really weird difference. I, I tend to work quite fast. I get fast um, deadlines, uh, pressured deadlines in film and TV where I have a very fixed amount of time. Whereas in games, uh, I mean, I was working on uh, telling lies for about eight, for 18 months. Yeah, yeah eight, eight, a long time. You know, I'm not used to these long gestation periods. But it was great because it meant that I could write a piece of music and then get feedback from Sam and sort of live with it for a while and come back to it later on. Sort of a month later, I'd come back to the piece and think, oh, maybe I can change it. Maybe I can improve on it and do a better job. And uh, um, so I, I had time to reflect and go back and tweak and do changes and improve things. Uh, so if, and, and because it's such a it's a game about human relationships where people are lying to one another and you get to see human beings in there for all their different facets. Um, the, the music was very detailed and every note counts. You know, every, every little subtle nuance uh, in the music reflected what was happening with these detailed facial expressions on the screen. Uh, so it's, mm-hmm. it's it's it on on in that fun it's very different from other games um sort of traditional video games yeah definitely um i have to admit it's something that i can't wait for it to come out on console because it's totally my thing so i yeah. can't wait to play yeah. it and experience yeah. it because it, that's the kind of i i love that kind of uh, where you kind of get really deeply involved and kind of the story just gently unfolds and yeah it's brilliant yeah you sort of just you get really sort of you're diving down the rabbit hole (laughs) and um and the music's quite subtle as well i mean you hear the full mixes on the score which is out now uh digitally uh but uh you see you hear different aspects of the music coming through in the game so when i recorded with the orchestra uh i recorded the music and all the notes on the page and then what we did in with the orchestra was really different to to other musicians and other sort of games composition or even film composition where we experimented um in the recording studio so i brought in um we used all these modern classical extended techniques uh and that was that was uh fascinating because we were sort of trying something that was fresh and different and uh, for example we use techniques such as something called spectral scrubbing where you uh-huh. bow the strings along the bridge of the instrument in a circular motion and it, the music uh, it gives the music a very airy floaty feel and uh, we were even though the musicians had the notes on the page, we'd move away from that and go, let's try and throw in some random inspiration and do something really crazy and different. And just a bit like sort of recording atonal music, where the, uh, you give the musicians freedom to play whatever they want. And so we tried different things like that. So we had alternative takes and alternative options to the, 
the first main version and, and so did you any hear, of that make it into the actual game yeah yeah so if you've got a if you've got a character's theme you have that on the soundtrack but in the game uh, you'll hear that same theme played in a slightly different way so that's because i only wrote a limited amount of music in the game i wrote uh, about just under 30 minutes of music because mm-hmm. We didn't want it to be wall-to-wall music. It's quite uh, subtle, and there's a lot mm-hmm. of dialogue. So the most important thing is the dialogue, and mm-hmm. uh, it's you know there's a there's a lot of that <laughs> that you're listening to. So the music then subtly creeps in, and you don't even notice that it's there, and it, it just adds to the whole atmosphere of the of the game. And so and so instead of hearing the same theme again and again and again, you actually hear all the alternate takes as well that come in sometimes. So so that way we increase the amount of music without having to do a huge amount of work, um, you know, in, uh, in terms of the core music that was written. So so that was quite fun to sort of try out as well.
So now that the game is out there, what's next? Um, well, I've uh, I obviously we just... all know about NDAs, so yeah. Well, I've just <laughs> finished a, uh, a feature, uh, a feature documentary, which has got its world premiere at Sundance Film Festival. So it's called The Reason I Jump. And that's a very immersive film. So I'm very excited about that. That's coming out. Uh, that'll come out later this year in the UK. And, I read about um, that the other day. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's based on a bestseller um, book. Um, artistic, uh, an artistic yeah, play? yeah, yes. that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that looks really yeah. interesting. I have to. Yeah, so, oh, yeah. So it, it's an immersive. Uh, yeah, it's a very exciting project. It's an immersive cinematic exploration of neurodiversity and uh, mm-hmm. through the experiences of non-speaking autistic people from around the world. And it was written by a, a 13-year-old Japanese boy uh, about 10 years ago. Uh, and he, uh, it, it, it's about his experiences and and how it, what it feels like to be autistic for him. So it's very, it's a very, um, the film is very intense and overwhelming, but often joyful sensory uh, film, and it's very immersive in sound design and music, and it's beautifully shot, and uh, it's it's about this. Uh, also about this Japanese boy's journey through this amazing landscape and, and he discovers what autism means to him and how his perception of the world differs to to us. Uh, yeah. And um, <laughs> so, so I've been working on that for the past year, actually. It took a, a year to edit. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, which is, uh, so I'm really excited about that. And I'm working on a series... Uh, a big six-part series for a Canadian broadcaster, but it probably gets sold internationally, so it will be here mm. as well. And it's about the history of slavery uh, with um, Samuel, Samuel L. Jackson is exec producing it, and uh, he's oh, in wow. it, he's producing it. So, so that's quite. F- uh, that'll be fun over the next few months. I'm working on a 15-part series for... Uh, the BBC Natural History Unit, and it's called Fierce Queens. And this is really, uh, I like working on projects that are very sort of technologically uh, innovative. And I can never say that word, innovative, innovative. (laughs) (laughs) And it's uh, 15 10-minute films, and it's called Fierce Queens, and it's about uh, females in the animal kingdom. So and it's and it's for mobile phone. So it's going to it's oh, okay. made by this. Uh, it's for this new American online uh, streaming service like Netflix, but they're mm-hmm. only commissioning content uh, for mobile phones. So each film, it's short form. Each film is ten minutes long, and they're making. Uh, they've commissioned Steven Spielberg and Guillermo del Toro and all these Hollywood wow. directors to make dramas and uh, uh, drama series and uh, high-end documentaries for the uh, for the platform. So that launches in April. So I'm looking forward to Happy that. Night. Yeah, and uh, and a few. I'm doing a Netflix original series, which I can't talk about too much, no. and uh, a lot a lot of TV work. Um, yeah, so uh, quite busy at the moment. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so um, I think that's us pretty much 
done for today. Uh-huh. Um, I just want Great. to say a massive thank you to Nanita for joining us and telling us all about telling lies, etc., and what you know, everything else. So yeah. thank you very much, Nanita. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. No, thank you very much for inviting me. It's been lovely to talk to you. <laughs> Fabulous. So uh, we will be back in a couple of weeks with episode 58 with another guest. So, And this time it will be Jamie doing the interview. So uh, we will see you then. All right. Take care, everybody. Thank you.